Hi, I'm Troy Richards. And I'm Daniel Mawson. Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri, and Daniel's our worship pastor. Our church is reading through the Bible in a year, and on this podcast, we examine highlights from this week's reading. We talk about the passages devotionally and try to answer questions people have shared with us. Our hope is that you'll discover how amazing God's Word is and how enjoyable it is to read for yourself, which is the key to understanding Jesus. Welcome, everybody. We are here, week eight of the Understanding Jesus podcast. Dun, 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 dun. Hey there. And I'm really excited. We've all kind of got our little bylines uh, ready to go. Uh, and um, bad, Yeah, this Pat, was... Go ahead. I'll, I guess I'll go ahead. I was just going to ask you what yeah. we were going to do. Oh, wow. So. What are we going to do? We are looking at... We're in Leviticus, and this all is right. a time... I know. This is a time okay, when good. some people get a little bit stalled. Uh, but again, and we've said this before, the reason why the reading, when you're reading through the Bible, I like reading Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs the best because there's always, even if you get bogged down in one, the New Testament rarely bogs us down, but the Old Testament can tend to be a little bit weighty at times or or deep into the law. And so uh, this is, um, but there were some really good things in this week's reading yeah. in Leviticus 13 through 24. Uh, we went through Psalm 25 and 26, 27 to 28. And also uh, Proverbs chapter 10, we kind of camped out there this week, and uh, Mark 3 through 6. So we are going to examine those passages when we return. All right, we are back here at uh, the Understanding Jesus. We're about to get into the devotional moments. I'm really excited because I think do all of us do we all have a Leviticus? We all reading? you know we as much as we said Leviticus doesn't no, have a lot I to offer. I definitely don't have anything oh. Leviticus. I had two though. <laughs> I had a story so, about Levi Ticus yeah. was my oh. Leviticus. Uh, that was your moment. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for not sharing that with everybody. You want me to? Go ahead. We had a puppet ministry and one of our little boy puppets was named Levi Ticus. That's <laughs> that poor kid. Whoever <laughs> named him. Such yeah. a I named him, so watch your mouth, Daniel. <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna just dig in um, to what we all what we right, read, all what right. We liked. Um, and Josh I think, is gonna share first. Yeah, all right, let's do I it. Am well, I um, prefaced last week uh, that saying that I was gonna talk about Psalm 26, um, and because and, and here it is, and here it is, here it is. We've been waiting for it um, because Daniel uh, last week went over Psalm 22, and it was just a very very intense passage of. of David just sad and you know why have you forsaken me God um in Psalm 26 is just kind of um a place where I have been quite often where I I think a lot of Christians um can be and so I'm just going to read Psalm 26 8 through 12 and then I'm going to explain it but it says oh Lord I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells do not sweep my soul away with sinners nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes but as for me I shall walk in my integrity redeem me and be gracious to me my foot stands on level ground and the great assembly I will bless the Lord. And so, like I said, I find myself often in this situation where um, I always desire to be in the place where God's glory dwells, whether that's just like sitting, you know, at the foot of the cross, you know, or wherever it may be. I'm just with God. I'm in his presence with him. And it's such a peaceful um, just time to, to be with him. Um, it, it's, it's good and it's sweet. Um, but not only that, but um, as, as you keep going down through it, um, verse 9 says, do not sweep my soul away with sinners. And I've also been here that when, when those times of me just continuing to desire to be with God um, are constant, there, there also seems to be this intense like rise up of sin in my life where I just am so miserable with myself and the self-condemnation. And so I'm, I'm always in this boat of, God, please do not sweep me away with sinners. Like do not like um, forsake me in that way. Um, and so that's, that's something pretty interesting. But, th- but then as you go down, um, what are we called to do? Well, um, David says, but as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. And so he's walking in what God has called him to be his character, um, of who he is supposed to be. That's, that's what he has called us to be. And so he walks in his integrity. Um, and I think that, um, I need to remember in those moments and we all need to remember in those moments, um, who Christ has made us, who he's called us to be, um, instead of what 
we are acting in right now. Um, and then also pray for just like, like he does redeem me and be gracious to me. So pray for redemption and where you are in grace. And then finally verse 12, but my foot stands on level ground. Um, and I think that we just need to remind ourselves of this truth that God is our foundation, that we cannot be moved if, if, if he's our foundation and he's solid, um, and we can stand on him and, and give glory and praise to him. And so, yeah, that's, that really, really stuck out to me this week is just how real that, that passage was in my life, um, for a while. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I was, I was something you said, I was, I was reading that same, obviously I was, we're, we're all doing this reading and I was reading that same chapter this week and, um, just how, I don't know, like the level of integrity that David comes at this Psalm with, um, like every other line is, um, Lord, I live with integrity, so do this. Test my heart because I walk before you. Like I'm, I'm always, I want to be, I am, an, I am in your presence and I am living rightly, so vindicate me, you know? And, yeah. and I think that, I think there was a, something along the line, somewhere along the line, I think a lot of us reacted against the fundamentalist kind of era where, um, the fundamentalists would, would approach the Bible and say, okay, you can achieve every level of sanctification and then you're good. You know, it's kind of that attitude of I've learned it all and I can kind of sit back now on my haunches and just kind of coast from my Christianity. That's what it becomes. And so this reaction came out that we, um, almost it's like we can never attain anything mm-hmm. right like so mm. um but the reality here is that david has achieved a, an attainable level of integrity where he can enter into god's presence and feel confident mm-hmm. that he's walking uprightly and that god will answer him favorably mm-hmm. right and it's not that obviously it's not that our righteousness will cause god to like like if we don't sin enough then god will answer our yeah. prayers better you know mm-hmm. it's not exactly how it works but um, but David has this confidence that says, Lord, I walk with integrity, mm. so defend mm-hmm. me in this. Yeah, and I yeah. think that that's, that's, a, that's an attainable thing for us, mm-hmm. um, that we need to be encouraged with, that we have the ability, the sp- spirit-given, mm-hmm. spirit-empowered, of course, but we have the ability to have, this in- have integrity with mm-hmm. our lives. And if we, if we do, then let's boldly approach the throne right. and say, Lord, speak to me, go to bat for me. I trust you're going to do that, and trust that he does. And then have a level of peace because we, yeah. if if we can live with with righteousness, man, like we should have confidence before mm-hmm. the throne. Yeah, it was called Pelagianism or semi-Pelagianism that uh, people back in the beginning of the 20th century uh, began to teach. It. When it had revivals and so forth, they would. Uh, the idea was that a person who was truly saved would not ever sin again, mm-hmm. uh, and that you would uh, it was you would reach a point of being perfected, uh, even uh, even the possibility in this lifetime, um, and and not really understanding that that wasn't the idea is that because we are so grossly uh, enmeshed in sin, and you're right it goes back and forth to. I either have complete confidence or I have zero confidence or I have too much confidence. And David uh, is a great example because David definitely was not somebody who did not recognize his own sin, his own inabilities and so forth. Yet here he comes and says, I'm a person with integrity. Mm-hmm. And so we are, I'm so glad we we're given that context of who he is because we know, again, that he – all you do is read Psalm 51. You recognize that he, he knows he's a person who has mm-hmm. faults and so forth, yet – believes uh and that's when we talk about abraham uh and others who are righteous uh when we what it means is is that they have done everything that god has given them to do to be made right with god mm-hmm. uh they have made whatever sacrifices were necessary whatever means god has provided in order to be restored they recognize they have sinned but they are repentant and then do what is necessary in order to be restored in fellowship and that's where our integrity has to come from. It has to come from not have you ever done have you done everything right your whole life, mm-hmm. or have you ever done anything wrong, but have you done what God has given you that is necessary to be in right fellowship with Him? Right. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, I was just gonna say real quick along with that, like He gives us His promises so that we can enter the throne with boldness. And I've heard someone say this. It was uh, J T English. He was like, "This sounds like heresy, what I'm about to say, but just listen." <laughs> and he said. Um, the best the best um, way we can show God that we trust him is to throw his promises back in his face. And he was like, that last part sounds really intense. Hmm. But it's just to say, God, I trust you. You said this, 
So mm. do it, you know. And, right, he, yeah. and he said, isn't that what, what we did with our parents? We said, you know, Dad, you said we would get ice cream. You know, and it's like <laughs> we can do that with God because he did promise us. Mm. And we know that he's a faithful, fulfilling God. Yeah. So, And we're also revealing that we're taking him at his word. Mm-hmm. And we're not looking yeah. for some other something outside of his word right. to, to get that promise. Yeah, it's good. Cool. Very good. Me? You. I, okay. Well, cool. Um, I wanted to look at Psalm, uh, not Psalm. Leviticus. Well, let me do Psalm because I'm already there, so I'll, I'll come back to Leviticus. I I'm, I like to do things in order, but it's I'm a getting, Psalms party uh, today. Uh-huh. Yeah. But mine was in uh, Psalm 27, um, and I want to look at verse seven, and I will just read to you from Psalm 27, verse seven, in case you don't have it memorized like myself. Lord, hear my voice <laughs> oh, when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you: seek His face. Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Because of my adversaries, show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. Do not give me over to the will of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. Um, this was uh, actually, I'm cheating here. This was two days uh, of reading, but uh, the uh, but, but they were kind of back to back. But the the cool part in this is just that knowing that God wants us. David goes to God when he has needs. He when he feels that uh, there's something lacking in his life, God is the place to where he turns. I, and, and that's why God says that David is a man after his own heart. He recognizes, I mean, all the way back to David and Goliath. He doesn't look to Saul's armor. He doesn't look to the, uh, the to the military. He doesn't look for the circumstances. He just believes wholeheartedly that we're in this situation, even as a nation, and that God God's the one who's going to get us out of it. So we just we just turn to Him again, taking Him at His promises. Mm-hmm. And and what a, a great example He gives us that we are to turn to Him in our hour of need. The temptation is that we are we're tempted to avoid Him. And to look to other sources for comfort and grief. And that that is a daily temptation. Uh, Whenever, as soon as a need arises in my life, as soon as stress or something makes me anxious or something creates fear, immediately we begin looking for some form of relief. And, And many times it's revealed God is not the first thing that pops into our mind or going to the Lord is not the first thing that comes uh, up to us. But that's what he's trying to get us to do, to say the first person we should speak to, to listen to our plight, should be our father in heaven. And from there, he provides people in our lives and brings people in the body of Christ or maybe total strangers or maybe something on the radio or something in the medicine cabinet that you need or whatever, whatever the case that way you are always seeing this as he is, uh, he is the one who's going to use the resources around us in order to meet the need. But ultimately he is the one who is worthy of glory, uh, for all of that. Uh, it's God who is behind all that we need. Uh, and when we are in a time of need, that last part, though, where it talks about patience, um, you know, it seems it seems like one of the things I was always taught when I read the Psalms is when I look at the enemies of, of David to think in terms of my enemies are threefold. Uh, they are Satan himself, the world around me and then my flesh. Uh, and so when I when when you because sometimes you'll say I hate my enemies and so forth and we are we start we need to remember that our battle is not against flesh and blood as Paul tells us but to articulate that same hatred toward our own flesh rising up against us or to sin itself or to the enemy the devil himself um, and so when you're thinking of uh, when you say things like Lord lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies thinking in terms of of all the things that are coming against us every day always. The enemy is always trying to find a way to poke or press your button, and he knows what your button is. That's the crazy part is he, he knows exactly what he has to do to get me agitated, mm-hmm. and he does it every single time until that doesn't work anymore, and then he'll find a new one. Um, and our instincts um, many times betray us because they operate out of the flesh. It takes time for us to discern God's will, and uh, and also it's a waste of energy. <laughs> 
and resources uh, to try to move a rock that God is not ready to move. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, He says we can move mountains, but if He doesn't want that mountain moved, right. no amount of, of of equipment. I'm trying to think of the name of the those yellow bulldozers and everything. Case, no matter case <laughs> equipment is going to <laughs> is going to move that mountain. Uh, you know, and that that's that's the thing is that patience and waiting. Mm-hmm. But the beautiful part here is. And this is just something that really spoke to me this week. Is that David says, "I know I'm gonna, I know I'm gonna hear this, see this in this life while I'm still here. I'm gonna see your hand move. It's not just a, a trite. Uh, God's gonna fix all this when I'm dead. Uh, he does answer our prayers. He does accomplish things in our lives in this time period, in this dispensation, however you want to think of it, while we're still alive on this planet before we move on to the next life. So uh, it's." I, I think it's, it's, a, it's such a, a hopeful message for us. Sometimes we, we just get this idea that this life is going to be horrible mm-hmm. and everything's going to be bad uh, until this life is done. But that's not the message he gives us at all. There are some great, amazing, joyous moments while we are in this place. And so it's very right to ask God for those things. Just wait for him to bring those things mm-hmm. and don't try to make them yourself. Cool. Cool. Well, um, my next one is kind of um, across the storyline of the Bible. Did we skip Josh? No, I I tagged mine on the end of Josh's first one as a natural flow of conversation. Okay. So that we wouldn't have to like stop and talk about it. I appreciate that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right, Josh. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're okay. Um, Mine is kind of over the storyline of scripture, but but specifically out of Mark 4, Mm -hmm. um, 39, and then I think it's Mark... Six as well, but um, let me start with where my where my thought begins, and it's here in Genesis chapter one, um, verse two. Um, but I'll start with verse one, and it says, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light.' And so, just follow follow with me here." Um, because I've been studying the Bible, um, just looking th- through themes and motifs through it all, which is just repeated, you know, themes and, and things throughout the Bible. And so I was I was reading through, you know, Mark four, and then through the end of where we stopped in, in Mark six, and um, Jesus has this interesting um, interactions with water and his disciples in these two chapters. Um, and so um, Mark four thirty nine says. Um, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And then, and then you turn over uh, into Mark chapter six and Jesus now is walking on water. Um, and so, um, yeah, so it, he gets into the boat after he, after these disciples are terrified and, and horrified of what's going on. And he says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. Um, and I think, that it's just super cool to see that at the beginning of the Bible, we see the spirit of God, this peaceful, peaceful being just hovering over this emptiness, this, this voidness, this chaos, like it's talked about here in the Bible. And then he speaks and peace and order just happen. Um, and it's, it's beautiful to see. He just says peace and, and the water is calm. And just like in Genesis, he said, let there be light and order came to this chaos. And then, and then again with this, this, this peaceful um, picture of this, the spirit of God hovering over the water and God is just, um, or Jesus here in, in Mark six is just walking over water. Like it's nothing. And just, he's not really worried about what's happening. And we can see humanity is the disciples are freaking out, um, mm-hmm. that there is something walking on the water, but Jesus is just doing kind of what he, you know, what God's always been doing, just bringing peace and order and, and being sufficient in himself and, and just, just being God. And mm-hmm. it is such a cool thing to see that we have a consistent God, a never changing God. And from the beginning of the Bible, he brings order and peace with the word of his mouth um, to things that we cannot control, like water, like the flood, like what's coming in Revelation. He's going to give us living water. It's just, it's beautiful that this power comes from his mouth and peace follow mm-hmm. chaos and darkness and emptiness is filled with order. And it's just so, so cool. And I've, I love that. Mm. And does that really with the guy uh, at the tombs, the man mm-hmm. of the tombs brings, uh, but just by speaking, the demons have to right. obey whatever he has to say. Yeah. He yeah. has command over everything, both the, in the spiritual yeah. realm and the physical. So mm-hmm. yeah. It's so cool. So cool. Super cool. 
Cool, cool. All right. Um, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do something brave and go to Leviticus here. Um, so um, in Leviticus 17. So I, I just want to mention this. I kind of I'm gonna cheat and do just an observation here. It's not really a devotional moment, but just uh-huh. an observation. Hopefully encourage those struggling to get through this book, um, this portion of the Bible. Um, and then I'll talk about something I it's actually the Lord like felt like He spoke to me um, after this, but. In 1711, so just if, if you've been reading, it's easy for your eyes to gloss over what's kind of building up here. But we're talking about all kinds of things, contaminated objects, bodily discharges, um, atoning, uh, forbidden sacrifices. Like all these things have to do with like blood, right? So yeah. like you have to either you have to use blood to cleanse people or the blood is making the person unclean. So it's it's a whole lot of bloody talk a whole lot of yeah. blood talk and anything that will show up under a blue light anything yeah. that will show up under and i mean anything <laughs> oh, <thank God. laughs> uh, and and then in 17 i feel like and again we, the the author didn't moses didn't uh put in these chapter numbers right it's just this constant this flow of information from god and in 1711 it says okay so a little bit more backup um god has yet to give any explanation as to why okay he's just maybe he says yeah i'm going to set you apart so you're going to do this i'm going to set you apart i'm going to do this but this is what you're going to do and this is what you're going to do when that happens and this is what you're going to do when that happens it's just like a whole string of commands and then he gives an actual like explanation of of everything leading up to this point and i think it's i think it's this is one of the hinges of the bible in my Hmm. in my mind 1711 says um for it's an explanation word for the life of a creature is in the blood and I have appointed it to you, appointed the blood to you to make atonement on the altar for your lives since it's the life blood that makes atonement. Hmm. And it's this moment that's like, I don't know, halfway, maybe towards the end of Leviticus looking here, maybe a little, about halfway through Leviticus that God, God reveals to them that it is this, this thing, this blood, this atoning work is not just because I said so, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's not just to set you apart. I'm setting up an archetype here right. for you to follow. The lifeblood makes atonement. Remember that. Get that drilled into your brains, your thick skulls, that lifeblood is what makes atonement. Because in a couple thousand years, I'm going to send an atoning sacrifice, and there's going to be a whole lot of blood in that moment, and that's mm. going to need to mean something to you. Right. Um, so it's like, hopefully when you're reading Leviticus, if if you don't gloss over this moment, this is where everything that's been said so far and everything that'll be said after becomes crucial. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, suddenly everything you read is Jesus. And yeah. um, so anyway, I hope that's, I hope, you know, I hope that help, helps your Leviticus journey um, this year and, and following years as we yeah. cycle back to this next March and, and February. But, um, but actually, so that was just a, that was just a, Spent a little longer on that than I meant to, but uh, in uh, in Leviticus 18, it's just a couple of verses later, one through four, it says, Yahweh spoke to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, I am Yahweh your God. Do not follow the practices of the land of Egypt where you used to live or follow the practices of Canaan where I'm bringing you. You must not follow their customs. You are to practice my ordinances near to keep my statutes by following them. I am Yahweh your God. And um, I think that it's just this lesson of not living according to the customs of the people around you. And I think it's something we need to hear and I need to hear um, consistently because um, before the podcast started uh, started recording, we spent maybe 10 minutes talking about iPhones (laughs) and the difference between iPhones and Android culture. And uh, we often talk about the the biggest show on Disney plus or, um, you know, just, just little world stuff, world stuff that um, we, we get neck deep into. And, and I think it's just it's important for me to always remember like this 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 is just stuff yeah. you know nothing really matters we can have little debates because it's fun and we we love each other but um, but really there are customs that the world has and there are customs that God has and this isn't one of those readings in Leviticus that we just get to shrug off and say yeah that's Old Testament now right. we can live according to the world's customs like that mm-hmm. that's never in the New Testament yeah. it's never reneged um, we have a culture that is of Christ now um was of was of god and you know just god the god the father god and as he revealed himself at the time in the old testament but we live according to the customs of christ and it it kind of implies um 
in verse 5, it says, Keep my statutes and ordinances. A person will live if he does them. I am Yahweh. He gives them his name, stamp of, of approval on that. If you keep my my ordinances or my law or my culture, you will live. The implication being is that if, you, if you're just neck deep in the world's way of life and you think of things the way the world thinks of things then you're you're gonna die like that's just your default state now Mm -hmm. so um, there's no life promised for you in in what the world culture has and and too often i think of you know i just think of what the world thinks of us and Mm. we should be weird we should be a strange culture to them and i think sometimes we look too too worldly in our culture um as it as you know the body of christ sometimes so Anyway, that's what I was taking away. It's what I'm going to start um, analyzing in my life. Sweet. (laughs) Coming days. And mine uh, mine is from the end of that same chapter, uh, and really it's the same thing because it kind of ends and begins with the – begins and ends with the same thing. He says in the same chapter, Leviticus 18, 24, he says, Do not defile yourselves by any of these practices. Mm. And I I appreciate the fact that Daniel started at the beginning and I'm at the end, and we left out all the practices uh, that he lists. (laughs) We're just going to let you read those for yourself. Uh, But he says, Do not defile yourselves by any – of these practices for the nations I am driving out before you have defiled themselves by all these mm-hmm. things. The land has become defiled, so I am punishing it for its iniquity, and the land will vomit out its inhabitants. But you are to be but you are to keep my statutes and ordinances. You must not commit any of these detestable acts, not the native or the alien who resides among you. For the people who were in the land prior to you have committed all these detestable acts, and the land has become defiled. If you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it has vomited out the nations that were before you. Any person who does any of these detestable practices is to be cut off from his people. You must keep my instruction to not do any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you so that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am the Lord your God. And and crazy part is, first of all, the thing we have to remember is God was not giving the promised land to the Israelites and taking it away from the nations that were there. He was pronouncing judgment against the people who were there and using the Israelites to doing two things at one time. He was giving them a land that he was taking from people who were being judged. But he says, in the same way that I am judging them and taking this land from them and giving it to you, if you do what they did, mm-hmm. I will judge you and take the land away from you and Ooh. give it to somebody else, And which is exactly what happened to them. They did not observe the law that he Ooh. gave them, and uh, and he did vomit them out and, and take them in exile. Very there were some covenants made, though, where, uh, where he did make promises to the land. But, you know, when you really look at those covenants, those promises are fulfilled. In Christ, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus was the one. At that point, he's preserving it for his son, and uh, and then gives all that inheritance to his son Jesus through the line of Judah, and, and so to speak. But the but the thing also I take away is something that Daniel was alliterating or alluding to. Uh, it's not a new thing for the world to uh, that does not know God to pervert what God says. This is something that the world has always done. We like we love to look and see what the world does wrong and say, oh my goodness, look how awful they are. Look how awful, look, oh, I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they believe this. That has always been the case. Everything that you look in media and see in the world and the practices that people practice and the things that they do, there is absolutely nothing new that people are doing that they haven't been doing uh, for all time. Uh, these are the things God looks upon and, and they've always justified it. They've always looked at God's people and said, we don't believe what you are teaching. We don't believe in your, we believe what we're doing is right. We believe what we're doing is okay. And they've always uh, uh, criticized us. Uh, It's also not a new thing for the people of God to imitate the world and to not do what God wants us to do. God has always rebuked his people. Why are you imitating the world? I told you to have a standard and set yourself apart. We listen to the world and we think, like Daniel was saying, we listen to the world and think, I want to be like them. And God has specifically said, no, you need to be unique. You need to be mm-hmm. different. Because when they come to, if they come to their senses, if they, if they realize that the consequences of their actions do lead to death, and so they look for life, the only way they're going to find that life is if you are living mm-hmm. according to my word, according to uh, what I've told you to do. Um, no matter how much the world maligns us, ridicules us, criticizes us for how we think or we do, as long as we are upholding what God has told us, then um, then God is the one who is the one who upholds us, who exalts us, and who saves us. We we just have to be faithful to the one. Mm-hmm. He says, "Don't fear the one who has the power to take your life." Right. 
He literally is saying that if if you remain faithful to my word and to teach the truth that I've given you, mm-hmm. and they kill you for it, don't be afraid of them. Be afraid of the one who has the power to kill you and to cast your soul into hell. Mm-hmm. Because we're talking about eternal life now. We're talking about that you live in a sin-filled world. I've come to redeem you out of this world uh, and to give you a new world um, that will be free of all this uh, sin and and rebellion. Uh, so when you it really believes who you're gonna who you believe is going to win this battle in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you believe that Jesus is going to win this war and that He's going to be declared the victor, then you need to be the one aligning yourself with Him, and uh, and you want to be found being faithful to Him mm-hmm. in the end. So awesome. All right. Well, we're gonna take that moment, take a pause. Dun, dun, dun. We have a few questions to answer. We have a few questions to answer and ask. So we will be back in just a quick second. Here we are, the question and answer the segment. The question and answer For every time. question you've ever had in the Bible can and will be answered mm. in five minutes or less. Um, so <laughs> here we are. We're, uh, we're in Leviticus, so there's there's quite a lot of options. If you ever have questions, you are more than welcome. In fact, you are, nay, invited to email us. Uh, you can email Pastor Troy directly mm-hmm. at troy at fbcj.us. You can email the church. Really, you can just throw any of our first names in front of at fbcj.us. Maybe coming in. Um, well, just for ease of access. Oh. So uh, <laughs> anyway, um, that is that said, Josh, you want to open us up with our first question? And Yeah, I do. I want to start in Mark real quick because it's kind of a – I've always had this question. I've had it explained to me one time, forgot the answer. So I just want to know. Okay, so Mark 5, 43, um, right before this, Jesus heals a little girl who was – um, supposedly dead, and then uh-huh. he says, no, she's just sleeping, silly right. gooses. He doesn't really say it like that. But after he does this, um, it says the people around them were immediately overcome with amazement, and then it says this, and he, being Jesus, strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. So we see this all the time in the New Testament yeah. or in the Gospels. Jesus yeah. says, like, don't tell anybody what just happened. So right. why does he do that? Well, when we look at things like that, first you look at what gospel are we – because you say he says it all the time. But you do want to focus on the gospel you're in and the okay. gospel of Mark. And the gospel of Mark does do this repeatedly and so forth. And so you have to ask why is Mark uh, expressing this in his storytelling that he's doing? Why does he keep putting this detail in there? And, and one of the things that we see in Mark and, – and just a little behind the scenes, Mark uh, is most likely the John Mark that was the Mark that traveled with Barnabas and, and Paul. He also is a scribe for Peter. And so as being a scribe for Peter, the content for the Gospel of Mark most likely comes from uh, the narrative that Peter would have given. Uh, and so it is uh, – and, and is where most of the content we get from Matthew, uh, the base content for Matthew and Luke. So, so that's why you see some of these common things. So Mark is a great place to start because if he had it, then this is uh, – there's something that's being in that original uh, story. One of the things that we have to keep in mind with Jesus is that we we think in terms of Jesus is coming to our town, he loves everybody, mm-hmm. and he wants to go around and heal everybody, and so we so we're telling, hey, Jesus is coming, and there's banners everywhere, and he shows up and so forth, but we don't really pay attention to what Jesus' purpose is and what he was actually doing. I mean, mm-hmm. His purpose and plan was to communicate a message of the good news of the gospel. Right. He verified it through practices of healing, mm-hmm. but he began to see, uh, and one of the things that a, a, a natural byproduct of people seeing miracles being performed and so forth was not just seeing that, oh yes, this man is who he claims to be, and and the word he is pronouncing is uh, authoritative. It becomes a, oh my goodness, here's a guy who heals people. And so the focus becomes on healing people. And so mm-hmm. people crowd into towns and so forth. And you have people from all different backgrounds, from all different, not not to hear the message, not to know what it is that, that his revelation as the Messiah, but just simply wanting to be healed. And, and so you'll see that uh, in his conversations with people, he's trying to flesh out. Why are you here? Why are you, you know, because he says he would go to places and they would just want him to do signs and wonders, but they didn't believe he was who he claimed to be. And he didn't do. And because of their lack of faith, he didn't do a lot of miracles there. Mm-hmm. And so the two kind of go hand in hand. And 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 plus, uh, also, he, 
he was exhausted. And so at this point in the Gospel of Mark, he's just trying to get away from people. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, hey, I need some time to meditate with my disciples, to teach and to train, to spend some time alone with the Father. And this is what he's, uh, through this period of time, he keeps trying, you'll see, he keeps trying to get away, keeps trying to get away. And then he can't because all these crowds are thronged upon him and so forth. One of the things that he's trying to avoid is people getting excited and proclaiming him as the Messiah Mm -hmm. and, and his kingship too early because it's mm-hmm. not time for him to have this ultimate confrontation. Because uh, when the time comes, uh, you know, it's when he does finally release this. They put balm branches out. They welcome him in, right. sing Hosanna to him, and how he rides in on a donkey and so forth. And he orchestrates that. Right. Uh, and and he says, they even say, why, why don't you chastise him for saying these things? He says, if they don't do it, the, you know, the rocks will cry out. Right. Uh, but that's because... It is time for him to be uh, sacrificed, and so so it's not time for that moment. And so he keeps saying, "Don't it's not that. Let's not let this get out of control, uh, because once it gets out of control." But Mark does go on to say, no matter how much he said it, they still the more he told them not to, the more they uh, revealed it. And so, uh, but mm-hmm. that's uh, um, but anyway, that's uh, yeah. I, and I think one of the things that I get tortured in my own head is that if he knows they're going to go ahead and share it, you know, why does he even go (laughs) through the trouble to say, but that's just God being true to himself. He always says what we are supposed to do, even though he's prepared for the outcome of us not being obedient. He always gives us what we should be doing. Interesting. That's a good, cool. I like that answer. Super cool. Good answer. Good answer. It's like Family Feud. Good answer. Yeah, yeah. Good yeah. Answer. Ask, ask your answer. question. I want to hear Josh's answer to this next one. Oh, since he's... All right. Yes. Well, I was just going to see if we could talk about the differences between, okay, back up. Um, it seems like in Genesis, we deal with one brand of God. And then we look in Leviticus at another, it's like this whole different, like what, we're shifting gears here, mm-hmm. new brand of God. And then we get like we get a whole bunch of prophets and judges and like we see God do all kinds of things. And then Jesus comes on the scene and it's like, oh, new revelation of God. Oh, it's Holy Spirit, new revelation of God. Mm-hmm. Oh, end of days, new rev. And it's like, okay, so can we discuss the difference between the natural flow of the biblical narrative and dispensationalism uh, that we don't ascribe to? Uh, so like we 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 go with the biblical narrative, but we're not really preaching dispensationalism. So yes. and Josh has just written a paper on this. I just wrote a story on the the story of the Bible. You can discuss the dispensational part of it. But I I would love – this is something that has been fascinating me for years with biblical literacy and just understanding the storyline of the Bible to understand who God is. And that the Bible um, is a story about God and not us and not the people inside of it, but a a story of God. And so it starts in Genesis chapter 1, right? Like I just talked about. In the beginning, um, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we see – here in Genesis 1-2 that um, God is present and he is um, hovering over this face of this chaos that we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from this this darkness and this emptiness, he fills it with order and, and um, beautiful things. He creates things. Um, and then we see him create humans and it's different. Um, we're made in mm-hmm. his image. Mm-hmm. And instead of being spoken um, into to being, he forms us and then he breathes his life into us. And so we we see that there's something different about us. Um, and then he goes on um, and he commands them to work in this garden, to work and to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth, subdue it, because that's mm-hmm. what God had asked them to do. And then we see um, throughout the first six days that there's evening and there's morning um, on all these days. But the seventh day where God rests, that is not in Scripture. That, that mm-hmm. little part where it says there's evening and morning. And, and the question becomes, well, why? Well, we can answer that by saying this was the point of creation, was for God um, to be the ruler of all things and to have these creations, these um, image bearers, rule the earth. And mm-hmm. so um, he gives them these trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, both promising what their names are. So one promises knowledge of good and evil and one promises life. And so... Um, he says, hey, don't eat from this one, because if you do, you'll surely die. And um, they... Eat from one, you can't eat from the other. <laughs> right. And so they eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and then they choose to define good and evil on their own terms. They don't trust God with that, and so God removes them from the garden. And so from here on out, this is the whole storyline in the Bible, is these people trying to decide whether they're going to let God define good and evil or whether they're going to define it on their own. Um, and obviously, we know that it doesn't go too hot. <laughs> we know that they continue to define it themselves. Um, But we can see God throughout all of these books of the Bible wanting to dwell again with his people 
on earth and in a righteous kingdom. So this book of Leviticus is him saying, hey, this is how we're going to get back to what what we what I wanted was I want to be with you on earth and I want to have a righteous kingdom. And so all these rules, these laws are so that you can be righteous so that I can again come with you. And then we see the building of the tabernacle. He wants to be on earth with his people, but they have to be holy. And so we go on and go on, and then these people are no longer holy. His presence is removed from them. Jesus comes, and he's dwelling with his people on earth. And then he tells them, hey, this is not just a message for Israel anymore. This is for the whole world. Mm. And then we go to Revelation, and we see that um, he's going to destroy this earth and this this heaven, um, and it's going to be completely forgotten about and he's going to create new and then he says in revelation 21 it is finished again his day seven is here and it's time for him to rest with this creation this new creation this good creation he's going to be with his people in a righteous kingdom forever and ever and you can read that throughout the whole bible and see this incredible glorious picture of god throughout the whole bible and it just legitimately i Oh, it's so good. It is just so cool to see the story of God and that he is the same and that he doesn't change. Um, He just has a purpose and he's fulfilling that purpose throughout scripture through through Israel and through Jesus. And then now we get to be a part of that and we get to share the the good news of the Bible and, and who God is. So. Awesome. Anyway, there's yeah. my yeah. your meta narrative. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and speaking to dispensationalism, both the natural flow or the progressive revelation and the and dispensationalism, those are uh, those are things that inform theology. And when we're trying to look and see what does this passage mean, we use that theological those theological presuppositions to kind of inform what we're reading. So when I'm reading back in Exodus, so this is what Ma- this is what Moses said, and I'm trying to look at the context of what God's revealing about Himself. I have to say, is this literally the way God is, and make it fit with this, or is it, or is there something, is there something different about like what you're saying? Is this God different? Is did God change? Well, when we take the whole of Scripture, we we have some foundational things. And one is that God doesn't change; that so He's immutable. Mm-hmm. And and so if He doesn't change, and so He's so Jesus is the same as this God who is uh, sending the Israelites into Canaan to uh, kill every man, woman, and child. How do we reconcile those things? And when Moses says things, like uh, when he intervenes, God's going to kill everybody, and then Moses steps in the way, and then God relents and so forth. When we're, whenever we're reading the Bible and, and the context of those things, we uh, looking at the progressive revelation, the natural flow of Scripture, we understand that there were just certain things that people who, when they are writing these books, they didn't know about God that we know now mm-hmm. because we have the New Testament and, and so forth. And even though they're writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's understood that they are writing from the knowledge of God that they have at that time. Mm-hmm. So when we're reading that, we have that understanding that we know that this is the way they understood God at the time. So we can't look at God through that same lens, but we can understand the lens because we have we have a fuller picture, but we can understand the lens from which they were looking at God through. Um, dispensationalism was something that came uh, usually late part of the 19th century, early part of the 20th century. And it was, yeah, it was more of an idea that God came, comes in different dispensations. And within that dispensation or that time period, that era, that epic a period that there were certain things that occurred in that time period that you do not see elsewhere, like the age of the prophets. You have you have the prophets who are on the scene, and and it's a regular thing. Uh, you have prophet prophet after prophet after prophet, God right. speaking to people and saying things, and then after Malachi, 400 years, nothing. And so that's over. Then John the Baptist comes on the scene. He's really the first prophet that's revealed on the scene. But then a time when Jesus is here. And then an age of the apostles, which is a big big dispensation, because during the time of the apostles, people are speaking in tongues, and the word of God is being formed, mm-hmm. and they're doing miracles and so forth. So a, a dispensationalist would believe that uh, during that period of time, God interacted with man in a particular way that he does not do at other time periods. Um, and so then when revelation comes another, a new, uh, at the end of days, another dispensation, he will relate to us and have, uh, you know, as far as how he relates to Israel and, and, and the, and the things of that nation that he will conduct. And that is, they use that theological framework to inform their reading of the word and the way they're interpreting it. I don't hold to that point of view, so I'm not the best one to defend it, but I do know Charles Ryrie and, um, 
the uh, uh, Schofield uh, was a, a dispensationalist, and, and a lot of people who go to Dallas Theological Seminary. It's, it's a major. So if you listen to people who are uh, taught at Dallas Theological, their teaching will sound the same because they all come from that dispensational point of view. As one right, one another wrong. Well, obviously, when you're dealing with theology, understand the Bible trumps theology. We don't, we can't say that because theology is just our study, our ability to understand, and it's very fallible. Um, so this is just people trying to come up with a framework to better understand what they're reading. But it is it is uh, created by fallen people, and so it may or may not uh, be accurate. So um, so don't don't ever. Don't ever put all your stock in the theological uh, framework of something, you know, a, a systematic theology or even a <laughs> biblical theology. But understand the word of God itself, though, is true and infallible and inerrant. I did have one question <gasps> that I wanted to cover. Whoa. I remember oh. I said last week that I was going to cover a couple of questions, and so I'll try to make That's it right. quick. Right. Yeah. Uh, because there, there are two questions that we can't answer, but there are questions that I just wanted to address so we didn't just gloss over it. And the first one was... Why can you not boil a goat in its mother's milk? That's actually in Exodus and Deuteronomy. It's three times mentioned, uh, and it's one of those, what in the world is he talking about? Why why would you even address that you should not boil a goat in its mother's milk? And there is no reason given in Scripture, but there are some thoughts on that. And I just One is that it was a pagan practice of the time, and they were being told not to do it because it would be like being like the pagans. But uh, a couple of other theories I thought were interesting is one is that in the Old Testament, you have a tendency to separate the holy from the normal, and, and, and there are all kinds of separations that the Old Testament gives. Uh, mother's milk intended to give life, so to put that together mm. with the death of a young goat mm. would be some type of, uh, they would make, profane. Yeah, some type of profanity. Profane, I was going to say profanity, but profane is better. <laughs> but another theory that I, I always find, I always find when there's like a medical reason behind it, kind of like circumcision on the eighth day with blood clotting and so forth. Uh, but the um, this one was that perhaps it was a, that you were not to boil a young goat that was nursing because its mother's milk may be in its stomach and it may contaminate the meat uh, when it the way it was being stored at that period of time. I'd never thought of that, hmm. but I thought, well, that's an interesting theory. Interesting. Yeah, so anyway. Um, so next time Betty Crocker tells me, so you take the goat, the baby goat. <laughs> and, and boil it in its mother's milk. Yeah. Just, just avoid that. Okay. Yeah, just For avoid sure. it if you can. I've never done it. Never done it. No? Um, have to try it sometime. Yeah, I might. Yeah, just for to be radical. Yeah. Um, the other one is uh, why are the purification rites? This was asked by somebody else. Why are the purification rites different for boys and girls? Um, the uh, the when a mother is has a boy, she has forty days of purification. When she has a girl, it's eighty days of purification. Woo! And so there are all types of ancient medical reasons why people try to attribute that. And, and if you if you Google it or try to read it, let me just throw this into your mindset when you're looking at these things. Understand, when you're looking at ancient medical reasoning, that's assuming that Moses is thinking of ancient practices or that somebody else is writing into the text at a later time. Those are all liberal presuppositions <laughs> that we, if you, we believe that Moses wrote the book. And so he's going to write it based on what God is telling him. So God is not looking at um, ancient medical practices to try to figure out how to uh, come up with this reasoning. So we look for biblical explanations, and there are a few biblical explanations that, um, that again, we're not given a reason, so it doesn't really speak to it. But here are some possibilities. One is that uh, it was when Adam and Eve entered the garden that uh, that were they uh, that when they came into the garden that she was taken from his side and given the idea that she's half a man uh, I, I'm just going from biblical precedent and so therefore Adam is uh, 40 days and she is 80 days mm. uh, another reasoning is the uh, is the fact that uh, the birth of Cain and Abel and their sisters um, and when it says Eve, uh, Adam and Eve waited until Cain and his sisters were 40 days old and said, we will make an offering and offer it up on behalf of the children. And Eve said, we will make one offering for the firstborn son afterwards 40 days later. Now, that's not – that's what we genuinely like talk about. That's pseudepigraphal literature. Uh, but still, going back to that, it kind of is like if that's – 
you know, part of an oral narrative, not authoritative again. Uh, so I, did, I already, I already prefaced by saying we don't have an authoritative answer for this. So these are all just speculation. But the idea was, is that because Cain and Abel came first and then the, the girls came second, that they kept that uh, tradition. Tradition. And a third possibility is the atonement uh, for uh, of the sin of Eve. And in the wording of of the um, of the punishment in Genesis three, uh, he says for Adam, you're given this suffering, but for Eve, uh, it's it's basically suffering upon suffering, um, and so she's being punished twice as long as. Hmm. Adam, and then that carries on to uh, girls thereafter. So mm. anyway, just to <laughs> – uh, since we just uh, love to talk about things of – things, these are just things that pique my curiosity because I wonder them too. But, um, but anyway, just food for thought. So you're no, talking about like no the, the first Timothy 2.14 where it says Adam wasn't the one – Deceived. It was the woman who was deceived. Correct. Became, yeah. Okay. That's the first one. Yeah. The the uh, the second one though is is out of Genesis chapter three. Yeah. Um. That uh, where he says in the curse of Adam you will eat in suffering. Um. The word for suffering only appears once, and in when he talks to Eve, uh, the word for suffering is twice. I got you. I yeah. got you. So anyway, just a thought. Yeah. So ultimately, God knows. I <laughs> I don't have the answer for it. So. Yeah. Cool. So, there you go. All right, excellent, excellent. Well, this was fun. Yeah, you guys. Was. I'm still on Cloudline. All right. The meta There you go. All right. <laughs> well, we will. We got pick some up. great stuff next week, and yeah. we got some. We already have some questions that have been asked, but uh, we'd love for everybody to join us. Then. Thanks again for listening to the Understanding Jesus podcast. If you would like more information on Understanding Jesus or First Baptist Church of Jackson or would just like to submit a question or comment, then you can call the church office at 573-243-8415 or you can email us at office at fbcj.us. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon.